Guatemala. Just south of Mexico, bordering Honduras, Belize, and El Salvador. Home to the highest peak and the deepest lake in Central America. 30 volcanoes, three of them active, known for its coffee, bananas, chocolate, its trees, and its jungle wildlife. A currency named for their national bird, the Quetzal. Mayan pyramids that still stand today. Reminders of a time that's gone, but not forgotten. With 20 indigenous languages still spoken here, this nation is a unique blend of culture, color, and experience. People with a rich heritage facing many challenges, including a devastating poverty. Which is why I'm honored today to feature Maya Health Alliance and their work in Guatemala where they provide health care to those in need, always respecting their culture and perspective, providing services in their native language, teaching, guiding, treating, helping the precious people of this Central American nation to heal, to thrive, and to never forget who they are. Today on the Edge of Adventure podcast, let's welcome Anne Kramer, executive director and co-founder at Wukukawok. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is The Edge of Adventure. Of course, my name is Adam Asher. Great to have you with us today as we travel to Guatemala. And my guest today is joining us actually from Antigua, Anne Kramer from Wukukawok, the Maya Health Alliance. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Great to have you. Thanks for your work. Thanks for taking the time to join me and to share this time with the audience as well. Did I pronounce that anywhere near correctly? Wukukawok. You did, actually. It's perfect. And that is in what original language? That is in Maya Kakchikel. And the Maya Health Alliance, where you have worked for approximately 15 years, you guys have been working mm -hmm. so hard there. What is your focus? All right. I mean, obviously, it has to do with healthcare, but there, it's this very unique organization with some very unique objectives. Walk us through the overview. Definitely. Thank you, Adam. We've been working for 15 years, really focused on bridging a major gap 
and care here in Guatemala. Basically, in Guatemala, over 50% of the population is indigenous Maya, and there's over 20 different languages spoken in Guatemala, plus Spanish. And unfortunately, oftentimes the Ministry of Health really only focuses on providing their care in Spanish, but that's leaving out a major portion of the population here. So we really focused on providing health care for those who need it most. And those are most often indigenous rural people here in Guatemala. So we currently provide care in six different languages across eight departments or kind of the central highland region of Guatemala. My guest today is Ann Kramer, executive director, but also let's note she's also one of the co-founders. What brought you? Let's get a little bit of the background. How did, did you discover personally this need? I came here um, over 20 years ago when I was focusing on my master's degree in anthropology, and I was very interested in looking at the intersection of indigenous communities and the whole idea of progress and basically what it means to get ahead in life and how people do get ahead and, and why. There are so many nonprofits in Guatemala. There's over 20,000 nonprofits, yet oftentimes there's a real failure to kind of make a change in Guatemala. The overall health indicators and education indicators haven't gotten better in the last 10 years. And I was very interested in Guatemala because it's a very unique country. It's one of the few countries in the Americas where the majority population is indigenous. And looking at the kind of the history of Guatemala, you can go back two to 3,000 years and look at the indigenous Maya population. You know, I think we're familiar with that when we think about National Geographic and we think of the temples and the covers of National Geographic and, and really great cities like Tikal. But a lot of their ancestors and descendants, well, the descendants are still alive today and they speak many of the languages from the original Mayan language. Yet oftentimes these people are the most, you know, forgotten people here in Guatemala, and they're often left out of the Guatemalan structure, education system, and healthcare system. And when I was here doing my research, I really could see how people were left out. And then oftentimes the failure to understand their culture and their language and to really work alongside people really left people out. And it, it meant that communities were not getting ahead or communities got frustrated with other nonprofits that were kind of bringing them maybe technological solutions that didn't fit into their worldview. And in doing that research, um, you know, I really saw this, this basic need. And people in the community where I was learning Kaktikal Maya came to several of us um, who were learning the language and said, you know, we really need healthcare. You know, a lot of our people, they just don't speak the language of their doctor or of their nurse. And we really, we really need this help. And that was where we jumped into action and we really saw that we could fill this need. So there's a couple of things then that I want to be sure I understand. The populations that you're describing, wonderful populations with their indigenous languages and so on and so forth. Is it often the case that they do not speak Spanish? It's a great question. So oftentimes people speak um, some Spanish. It kind of depends where you are in Guatemala. I would say um, in some areas, people speak kind of what is a trade Spanish, um, especially women and children. Um, they can go to a market and they can buy things in the market in Spanish. But when you're sitting down to talk about your health care and how you feel and what's going on in your life, they can't do that in Spanish. Just often as, as many people learning your second language is quite hard. So really, when you're trying to think of um, empowerment and caring for your body or your children, they, you know, you want to do that in your first language. And so that's really where this great limitation comes in. And again, of course, my guest today is the executive director and co-founder at Maya Health Alliance, Wuku Kawok. 
and her name is Ann Kramer. And so it's wonderful to have her on the show today. Part of what we always have to do, right, to understand what an organization does, what you and your friends and your colleagues do, to understand what you do, we also have to dig into the culture and what the communities are like. And I'm noticing you have a love for these communities. There's this affection that you have for the language and for the people of these communities. So what is life like for these different groups? Life is hard. I think a lot of people right now are probably aware of immigration that's been happening into the United States, especially from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. And people might be wondering why, why are people coming and, and taking that really long walk that takes weeks to months um, to cross into Texas, um, into the United States. It is a major risk and they're willing to take that risk because life here is very hard. Unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of job opportunities for rural Guatemalans. Oftentimes, you know, you can only get through third grade or sixth grade in school before you have to return to the fields and help your parents and work. And due to climate change and, and different changes within Guatemala due to market prices, farmers aren't able to make what they were in the past. And oftentimes, when you look at a, a young person who's maybe 14 or 15, they're looking at their parents and how hard life is. You know, they sometimes don't have electricity. Um, sometimes there's just not enough food to eat. And when I mean not enough food to eat, that's a tortilla with some salt. That might be two meals a day. And that's really rough. But yet in some of these communities, they also do have access to Facebook. They have access to, you know, what's happening in the world. They have access to friends or family members who have gone to the United States. And, and so they see that there are other, are other possibilities. So people are crossing into the United States. So life is hard. You know, some women have to, you know, walk several kilometers to bring water back to the house. Most women have to spend the majority of their day cleaning their house. Um, you know, everything's done by hand. They have to cook over a fire. So if you imagine starting lunch at 11 a.m. to eat at 1 p.m. because you have to start your fire, you have to, you know, do everything by hand. There's not really canned food that they're buying. So it's it is it's definitely a slower paced life in some ways, but it's it's very hard. And let's talk a little bit about how the Maya Health Alliance, Wuku Kawok, is unique. And I'm learning right along with the audience, right along with the listeners and the viewers of the program. So sometimes I have to ask very basic questions to make sure I understand. Do you and your team, are you providing the health care to these communities? Are you training those who do? What is the connection specifically on the ground for the Maya Health Alliance? Yes, we are providing direct care services to over 20,000 people every year. So our goal is we hire and have local nurses and doctors providing our healthcare services directly in the language and you know they dress and look like the folks that they're serving. And so we do a lot of capacity building and our team, we have over 70 team members who are working in the field every day. And often we go house to house to provide women's health care services, nutrition, child health, diabetes care, because oftentimes the houses are very far apart. People don't have money to get to health centers or because of a 30 year long civil war here in Guatemala that ended in 1996, a lot of people don't have trust in the, in the government. Um, there's a lot of discrimination and racism. There's a lot of work to do here. So we do provide direct care services and we also collaborate really closely with other nonprofits and the Ministry of Health because our goal is not to duplicate services. 
Our goal is really to provide state-of-the-art healthcare for those who need it most. And so we go into a woman's home, for example, and we'll talk with her about her women's health needs and her child's health needs around nutrition and what they might need to eat and how they can improve their diet. And if they don't have enough food, you know, we can enroll them into a program where we can provide them food and we provide education around diet and different ideas for recipes. So we really are there working alongside people, building that trust relationship. And I think that's why we've had so much success is that our nutrition technicians, our nurses, they're there alongside people. They're from these communities that we're serving and they care as much about the work as, as I do. And they want to see a difference in their own community. So there's this element, too, then, of leadership that's coming from the community itself. Yes, definitely. Okay. We are talking today with Ann Kramer. She's the executive director, also one of the co-founders at Maya Health Alliance. In the original language, Wuku Kawok. Now, is that a direct translation, Wuku Kawok? No, that's a really great question. So Wuku Kawok is a day in the Mayan calendar, the usual, what's the sacred Mayan calendar. And Wuku is the number seven. And Kawok is the day for midwives and doctors or healthcare service providers. January 1st, 2007 is the day that we were founded. And that day in the Mayan calendar was Wuku Kawok. And so we chose the traditional way for Mayans to do naming. And that is to adopt the day in the calendar. Always learning something amazing here on the Edge of Adventure and Kramer. So you speak this language. How many different languages are you comfortable speaking? Very comfortable in Spanish and fairly comfortable in Maya. You know, I talk to so many different types of organizations. And as we think about humanitarian work and this, these types of organizations that focus on social impact, making a difference, two key concepts always come up. And I want to get your perspective on them. Let's start with the first one, sustainability. It's not great if, you know, we go, we pour all our heart and soul into something and then it can't survive long term. Sustainability, how do you guys approach that? That's a great question because sustainability is a tough word, especially in healthcare. Uh, nowhere in the world is healthcare sustainable, unfortunately. We have a lot of work to do worldwide on that. So we really try to look at it in a different way. Um, many of our patients cannot afford to pay for services that, I mean, they can barely afford to eat, so they can't afford medical services. So all of our services are free, but we look at sustainability in a different way. We really focus on building capacity in Guatemalans. So we don't bring, you know, lots of people from the United States or from Europe to do medical services. While we do bring some people, they focus on training Guatemalans in how to do incredible healthcare, as well as research. We do research that's called intervention science that's really focused on, you know, finding out what works in this context. And so right now we have over 70 staff members that are nurses and doctors that are all local Guatemalans. They're learning and teaching us. We're always working together um, to do the best for the community. And we see that as sustainability, as building the resource here in Guatemala. So if we're not here tomorrow, there's 70 doctors and nurses who can, you know, work for other organizations, who work for the Ministry of Health, who can be leaders in their own community, because we work heavily also on training leaders um, within our work, especially women leaders. Here in Guatemala, um, unfortunately, women oftentimes are, are very ostracized. Men usually, you know, lead the show. And so helping women to find their voice and to be empowered um, is really important for their families and their communities. Another term is this idea of scaling, right? You take something, you make it work, and then how can I get this so that it works in more places and it grows? Your thoughts on the term and the objective of scaling? 
for us, we scale through our partnerships. I think scaling is important in many ways, but it's not the end all be all. I don't think an intervention that can work in central Guatemala means that it can work in Honduras or that can work in Mexico or in, in Central Africa. I think we really have to understand what needs to be tweaked, adapted, and adjusted in order for it to be as successful as possible, you know, what funding it needs to, to work. So here in Guatemala, while we do serve a large clientele, um, our goal is not to be in every community and have a health center in every community at all. We're really working alongside the government in order to help them um, because they already have many buildings. They already have a large staff uh, workforce across the country. And so we really want to work with them on training. And we've been working heavily in the area of nutrition and taking what we've had a very successful intervention over the last decade that has really reduced malnutrition by 30 to 40% in some of these communities. And we're working with um, the Ministry of Health and the nutrition arm of the government in order to work together and, and take some of our learnings so that they can adapt and scale that with us. Um, we find that is a really important way that we can be sustainable and do scale. This is The Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher. It's great to have you with us today for my conversation with Ann Kramer of Maya Health Alliance. We'll continue learning about their work in Guatemala in just a moment. But I wanted to give you a quick update on a very significant moment for all of us here at The Edge of Adventure. The long-awaited results are in for the inaugural Anthem Awards, and I'm extremely proud and honored to share with you that the Edge of Adventure podcast received the silver in our category for Best Humanitarian Action and Services. Consider for a second that other award-winning brands this year include Google, Viacom CBS, HBO Max, Nike, The New York Times, The Daily Show. To put this achievement into perspective, CNN took the top prize in our category. It's all still sinking in, to be honest. And I just wanted to share the moment with you because you are a part of the Edge family. And I'm grateful for you, for your friendship and support, for believing in this thing that I call the Edge of Adventure. Of course, I also want to thank my amazing team of researchers, editors, and producers, and all the many guests and organizations that have been featured on the show. Their dedication, creativity, tenacity, their love for others. That's what's made this an award-winning podcast. They are the heroes. I'm just the guy that gets to help tell their stories. Thanks, everybody. If you want to catch the Anthem Awards ceremony or to learn more about this very significant moment in Edge history, look us up online at theedgeofadventure.com. That's theedgeofadventure.com. Now let's get back to my conversation with Ann Kramer. She is executive director and co-founder at Maya Health Alliance, also known as Wukukawok as we discover the remarkable difference they're making in Guatemala, right here on The Edge of Adventure. Today, we have on the program the executive director and co-founder, Ann Kramer, at Maya Health Alliance. And I'm just going to keep saying Wukukawok because I think it's so awesome. i just a little jealous, so I might need to take some classes. Where does one go, by the way, to learn this Mayan language? 
Great, you can come here, definitely. Um, we also have a online class that we do through the University of Maryland. Uh, it was presential, um, but with COVID-19, we've gone to online. I also originally started learning Kakchikal Maya at the University of Kansas, and they also teach it at Tulane University. So there are universities in the United States that teach it. And of course, there are places here that you can learn it as well. It's important, isn't it? When you think about the culture and the traditions and the families and the communities, it's important that they preserve that natural original language. And it's important that it be honored. And what was the total again for the number of indigenous languages used? in 22. World? 22 indigenous languages. Okay. This is the edge of adventure. Talk a little bit too, Anne, about the investment that you make in the healthcare workers. What are the ways that they really need support and how are you guys providing that? You know, one of our key pieces is to hire a lot of women, um, often because our clientele we have are women or children. And so it really works uh, much better if our staff, a lot of them are women, especially in those two programs. So I think it's really important to invest in women, providing them with a working wage, a living wage that they can then bring home is really important but also the key pieces of empowerment and leadership so that they can have a voice at the table and they feel safe and can share their opinions is really important. But also we do a lot of training for our entire team around you know, how to provide healthcare, the bedside manner, also excellent world-renowned care. We take all of our information and share and training that we have, all of the approved protocols from the WHO, all of what comes with the Guatemalan Health um, district to make sure that our staff has the up-to-date information um, that is the best for serving our communities. We also focus heavily on databases, computer training, making sure our staff have all of the tools that they need to work in the field. All of our teams are working online, doing you know direct data entry in real time every single day into our database. Our team can access from all over the country or all over the world for what's ever needed. And we do a lot of quality improvements. So our team's always sitting down every month to review our indicators together and make sure that they learn what is best for my community. What do I need to do? How are we reaching our goals or not? And so that as nurses and doctors, they feel empowered to know what is the best next step for their community. So I think it's our team is really excited about learning, about science, about research. Um, and so it's, it's a really great teamwork and we're doing a lot together. Talk to me about that research, and I'm smiling here or thinking about my own team, some people on my team who are great at research, and it's an amazing skill set, and some people, like me, I don't think I have it. What is the data that you're researching, and how can you leverage that into the type of improvements that you're striving for? So we focus heavily on what's called implementation science, and basically we're doing research to find out what healthcare interventions work best in Guatemala. So for example, we have done a lot of research on nutrition. Here in Guatemala, sadly, over 46.5% of the population has chronic malnutrition, which means they don't have the right kind of foods between zero and two. And so they're often very short for their age. But what that means is that their brain is not getting all of the nutrients necessary to grow properly. And this affects their entire life meaning they'll learn slower, they're going to walk slower. Oftentimes they might drop out of school earlier and it leads to a lot of health implications later in life like diabetes and hypertension. So we focus heavily on, on malnutrition because often in the rural communities, 
80 to 90% of the children can be chronically malnourished. And this affects their entire life. So we've done implementation science research where we've done a clinical trial to really understand comparing what the Ministry of Health's intervention is of providing some micronutrients and providing what our intervention was of really micronutrients plus, you know, eggs and beans, and really looking at this one-on-one individualized education for the mother uh, over six months. And we can see that even, you know, providing food to children obviously helps them grow, but the most important point is really this education for the mom so that they, she knows what she can give the child. She knows how thick the food should be, um, what age groups need to eat how much every single day. And another intervention piece that we're doing right now is really focused on early childhood education and helping support moms to know, you know, what can they do to help their child, um, you know, start to speak, singing with them, having them do early movements. And all of this is based on research that we're doing in the communities, in Kakchikel, Kiche, Zutuhil, Maya, doing it in these languages, in their homes. They're a part of, of the research and, and they're giving their feedback and they're learning along with us. But once we do that research and we know, you know, what health intervention works the best, for example, in malnutrition, then we implement that into our program. And within our program, we're serving over 1,500 children a year. Um, And we can see this major transformation in reducing their chronic malnutrition. And this is now what we're working on with the Ministry of Health to help implement that um, countrywide. It's a slow process, but it's something that we can see be effective. And because we have the research and we have publications um, about its effectiveness, um, the government's really interested in talking with us. And we are talking today with Ann Kramer. She's the executive director and a co-founder at Maya Health Alliance, Wukukawok. And you can look them up online at mayahealth.org. That's mayahealth.org. And of course, Maya is spelled M-A-Y-A, mayahealth.org for more information. Or, hey, listen, you can also look them up at wukukawok.org. It's going to take you to the same place, same website but might be easier just to type in mayahealth.org and learn all about them, all about this wonderful work, their heart and their commitment. And let's talk about that for a second, commitment here to making a difference. Think about a reality. What reality is unacceptable? Meaning, what I guess I'm going with that is there's something that is a reality now that you find unacceptable and that you're working to change. Yes. And I think um, living here in Guatemala, you see such a great injustice that so many people can't access health care. They don't have enough food just because of where they were born, just because of the color of their skin, the language they speak, um, that they are indigenous. Here in Guatemala, often that means you're the lowest in society and people don't have control over where they're born or who they are. Yet here in Guatemala, unfortunately, there's structural racism. There's all of these issues that really keep people down and they can't access, you know, good health care, proper education, you know, food. And so we're working really hard to change that and fill the gaps in care and provide people, you know, the food that they need, the access to the health care education and the empowerment to make choices over their own bodies. And it's not something that changes overnight. It is something that takes a lifetime to work on. And we're extremely proud of what we've done in the last 15 years. And we feel like we're at the point now to really leverage our last learnings over the last 15 years and really be able to scale and work with other nonprofits in order to make even a bigger impact across Guatemala. And if you were to go back in time, and I know you've been active with the Maya Health 
Alliance now for 15 years. You guys founded it 15 years ago. But if you were to go back in time, that wasn't so long ago. That wasn't so long ago. But if you were to go back in time and think, this was maybe the moment that impacted me and pushed me to do this. Do you recall a moment like that? Yes, I really do. Um, it was something that when I was living in a rural community, I was living there for a year at a Fulbright scholarship and I was doing research and I befriended a man who was a leader in the community and he was an indigenous man and he spoke three, you know, indigenous languages and he was really viewed as a leader in his community when he fell ill. And at this point, this was before my health had started and I was still learning a lot about the healthcare system in Guatemala. Long story short, after being turned away from clinics, after his family not really understanding what he had, when they really found the real answer, it was by far too late. And he had stage four cancer and he had a major tumor in his liver and there was not much that could be done. And so I joined his family through this process and, and definitely towards the end of life. And I really saw this situation as very, it was absolutely not necessary. You know, he didn't have to suffer as he did. His family didn't have to feel so um, lost and invest money in different ways, uh, in medications, in pathways that weren't going to work um, because physicians didn't give them the right answers. They really were lost in the system. It's very hard to navigate. Um, they didn't always speak the right language or have the right color skin to really get through the, the right doors. And when he passed away, Don Andres, um, you know, for me, that was a real spark that things can be better. We, we can do better. And I felt it sort of a calling, like, I have to be part of this. I have to make things better. Ann Kramer is our guest today here on the Edge of Adventure, executive director and co-founder at Maya Health Alliance, Wukukawok, in other words. And she's joining us today from Antigua, Guatemala. Look them up online, mayahealth.org, mayahealth.org. Other than financial donations, right now, with the world being what it is, are there any other ways that people can be of encouragement? Yes. Um, I think getting the word out about the work that we're doing is really vital, but also understanding the situation for many people in Central America, in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, you know, as they're crossing the border and no people shouldn't be crossing the border illegally. It's a, a really major problem and they're facing many problems in the United States. And I think it's really important that we understand why, why are people leaving and how can we as a as a population, as society, work at root causes. You know, we can't just fix things overnight, but there are many root causes here in Guatemala that we have to address, such as climate change and hunger and discrimination and racism and lack of access to resources, clean water. And those are the things we have to work on. And we really have to think, you know, together about how we can do that. And that takes everybody because this is a, is a global issue. What causes racism? I think racism is caused by fear and unknowing. I think oftentimes we might grow up in a place where everything is safe and, and the same and people are from our same type of life and background and skin color and language. And we may not have the privilege or honor in meeting people who speak different languages or look different than us. And so I often think there's a lot of fear and people don't know that maybe they look different than us or they speak a different language or they come from a different country, but who they are at their heart, their soul about, you know, that they want family and food and happiness. Um, all of us want that. 
But I think oftentimes there's a lot of fear about the other, about that person over there. And I think, unfortunately, that's where a lot of racism um, and discrimination comes from. And then to cure it or to take that fear and to overcome it, which would be another way of saying that if a person does have that fear and maybe exhibiting a, a racism, to get past that, what's the key? That's difficult. I think it's going to take a lot of us working together. I think it takes, you know, commitment from all sides to kind of walk a day or so in someone else's shoes and to really understand what it's like and to really understand that most all of us in the world want the same things, you know, house, food, happiness, you know, safety. But that oftentimes what I see even here in Guatemala, in communities, there can be discrimination within small communities. And oftentimes that's because the resource pie, if you will, is quite small. And I think globally, we think about that a lot. Like, well, I need the resources for me. I need to make sure I have enough for my family. And I agree, we do need to make sure we have enough for our families. But when can we say, how can we share? Or when is enough is enough? And, and when can we you know, make sure that that pie is being shared better across countries, across communities. And um, I think a fear that we don't have enough is is truly a major issue. And overcoming racism and discrimination um, is going to take many steps, but we can do it. We can do it together. It's going to take open conversation. It's going to take a lot of vulnerability, but I think it's really necessary in order to overcome a lot of the issues that we're facing in the world today. And what would be your hope for the next few months. All of us, of course, we've come out of this very difficult time. We're still in a very difficult time worldwide. We all know that. And it, it's it's tough. It has been tough. It still is tough. But as you look ahead at the next six months to a year, what's your hope or your some of your goals for Maya Health Alliance? So I think over the next six months for us um, is really providing that support to communities, continuing our healthcare, continuing to work closely with the Ministry of Health during this difficult time, because oftentimes the Ministry of Health has to close down some of their services. And so we're filling those gaps by providing women's health and more nutrition services because the Ministry of Health is so focused on the COVID-19 pandemic. We're also looking forward to, you know, when can we rebuild post-COVID-19. And so we're talking a lot about that. What does that mean? We've already kind of had new ideas about our team being able to do more hybrid work, even though, you know, a lot of our team has to be in the field every day. Um, how can we provide, you know, different ideas for our staff to have a better balance for work schedule? And a lot of our patients have adapted to telemedicine. They're more open to it now. Cell phone signal and things like that don't always allow us to do 100% telemedicine here. But, you know, it's really interesting to see all the possibilities that have come out of COVID-19. And we really look forward to focusing on what we're calling our Institute for Health Leadership and Equity. And that's something we really would like to focus on over the next six months and into the next year. This is The Edge of Adventure. And my guest today has been Ann Kramer, Executive Director at Maya Health Alliance. And I'm going to ask you, the final question of today's episode, all right? What about all this brings you joy? I think I find joy heavily in, in my team um, and really seeing the changes individually in different nurses and doctors and staff members and seeing them grow. Oftentimes we'll have a nurse who comes in and she's very quiet in the first six months and she doesn't want to share because she's very used to kind of how things are here in Guatemala. And then over time, maybe in a year, 
seeing her voice her opinion to the PhDs, the MDs, you know, the folks at the table and say, no, that's not right. This is what we're going to do. This is how, you know, it needs to be done in the communities where I'm working. And, and seeing her leadership grow and change. And over time, she could become a manager of a program. For me, really seeing that change in our team is, is so phenomenal. Of course, the other piece that brings me joy are patients and seeing the great health outcomes. You know, we deal with cervical cancer, we deal with other types of types of cancer and being able to see families, you know, be together because we're able to provide services, chemotherapies, treatments for patients that can overcome cancer when financially there was no way they could have had cancer therapy. And for me, there's joy in every day in the work that we're doing, whether it's with children or adults. It's hard. There are days that are really are are really difficult, but I think overall, it's the little things working with my team and and seeing these you know patient outcomes. This has been the Edge of Adventure today. We've spoken with Anne Kramer joining us from Antigua, Guatemala, and the Maya Health Alliance. Look them up online at mayahealth.org. That's mayahealth.org. Org. You'll find out more information, get to know them, come alongside them, support them, and encourage them. Thank you so much, Anne, for your time today, and thank you for what you do. It's clear that you're, you're playing a very important role in the lives of these communities, and that's an inspiration. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure where we go beyond status quo.